we have been talking this month about the book of Ruth. We had a little break because of convention and because of um, some visitors, guest speakers. And so we're going to continue. This Sunday we're going to do chapter 3, and then next Sunday will be the last chapter of the book of Ruth. That will be chapter 4. And let's do a little bit of a review of the book of Ruth and what we've already taught so far. But let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for this time together. We ask you, Lord, that you would anoint your word. God, we pray, Father, that as we heard in the music and the word that you are faithful, Lord, that we are not under the microscope of God's analysis, but we are in God's ocean and shower of grace. And we thank you, Lord, for your great love towards us today. And we think of Ruth and her adventure in faith and how she just followed to discover the promise. And we just pray, Lord, you bless these words in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 1 really hit us with the picture of the bitter providence of God in the life of Naomi. Do you remember Naomi's husband uh, with her family leave the geographical will of God from Judah because of the famine? And they leave and they go to they go to Moab, which is really a big forbidden thing to do for Jews to dwell in a Gentile land. And this was not the will of God. It was a decision based on convenience. And we see this happen before with Abraham. How Abraham leaves his family out of the, the will of God because of a convenient situation. And they find themselves uh, in a place where uh, Naomi's husband dies and uh, also her two sons die. And now she has two daughter-in-laws that are uh, that are widows, and the news came to this stricken family that the famine was over in Judah and that there was bread there, and so they decide to go back. Ruth goes back with Naomi, refuses to leave Naomi, and uh, the chapter chapter one ends with the great statement that. Ruth, that Ruth and Naomi are now in Judah and there is the beginning of the barley harvest. And so we see that Ruth does not leave Naomi and she goes back with Ruth, uh, back with Naomi back to the homeland where God's will is. And that's a beautiful picture because when we do not throw in the towel and quit our, uh, our walk with God and our um, continuing in the uh, direction of God, then God always provides. And we were talking with someone yesterday as we were ministering in Westminster Heights that when times are tough, we can always count on God's faithfulness. But a lot of times people don't hear from God because they're not tuned into where God is speaking. And they are just tuned into their circumstances. And like Diana said, they're looking at themselves, analyzing themselves. Whenever we look at our circumstances, we're not going to find God there. And if we're looking at ourselves and our inevitable limitations and inadequacies that every one of us have, 
uh, we're not going to find God there. We're going to find uh, what Naomi found, just bitterness and um, difficult times. But Ruth has a sense of direction, and she has a sense that there's something down the road for her because Naomi, in her stricken state, is really a child of God. And so Ruth, being a Gentile, not being Jewish, says, your people will be my people. I will go where you go. Uh, where you live, I will live, and your God will be my God. And she actually, at that moment, becomes, I believe, a believer in God. I just want to make a point here, is that um, for that in our lives, there should be a day that we can think back to when we have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And we say we call that being born again, and that's nothing new for any of us here today. But it is possible. I think it can be possible that a person can go to church for 20 years and not even get saved because they say, well, I go to church. We asked somebody yesterday, we said, I asked this person who's in a lot of difficulty in their life, I said, when was the time in your life that you made a, a decision that Jesus Christ is going to be your Lord and Savior, that you invited him into your life? And she said, well, I've always gone to church. And I had to ask the question, are you saved? Are you born again? Because she was complaining that she couldn't hear from God in her life and that she would pray and God was not answering. And I said, are you saved? Are you born again? Have you allowed, have you received Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior? And the reason why I say that is, is that I'm sure that there could be people that go to a church for a long time out of just religious duty and because of guilt or because they don't feel good about themselves. They go to church to better themselves. But they may never ever know They've never looked, they never know at that moment that they're saved, that they're born again. And I just want to make that point because, and if you have received Christ as your personal Savior, then Jesus Christ never leaves us nor forsakes us. In John 10, 28, no man can pluck us out of his hand. We can't lose that salvation. God will take us home before we would lose that salvation. God would take us out like God took Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. So the point I wanted to make was is that Ruth got saved. She became a, an Old Testament believer. In chapter 2, the mercy of God breaks through bright enough for even Naomi to see it. So Naomi, in her depression and her afflicted state, begins to see hope. We meet Boaz, uh, we meet Boaz who was a, a wealthy man, a man of grace. Remember, we talked about Boaz being a man of grace. And he was a man that was a relative of Naomi's husband. And who can remember that in the Old Testament that if there was a widow and she could find a, um, a relative of her husband, then that relative could redeem her, could marry her, uh, and then her family would become his part of his family, and he would redeem her from being a widow. And so this is, of course, Naomi's strategy when she says, let's go back to Judah. And so, we see Ruth taking refuge under the wings of God in a foreign land and being led mercifully by God to the field of Boaz to glean. She just so happens to wind up in Boaz's field. And she goes there and she begins to glean, she begins to pick up the pieces left over from the reapers. And Naomi begins to recover from her long-time depression. Chapter 3 is going to talk about hope, and I want to talk about that in a minute. And she says in, in, in chapter 2, verse 20 of Ruth, the Lord's kindness or the grace of the Lord 
has not forsaken the living or the dead. And so chapter 2 begins to, there begins to, begins to be a foreshadowing of some hope for Naomi. I know that times are tough for people. I know that times are not easy for people. People are struggling in some cases financially or maybe they're struggling and internally. But God is a God that is a God of redemption and He wants to instill hope into our lives through the shedding abroad of the love of God. I think if we can discover the love of God that's towards us, then hope springs up. We'll get that to a minute. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Ruth is a God-dependent woman. She became so dependent on God. And I think that that's a good thing because my prayer for our church, every one of us in this church, every one of you that's here, is that we would, that God, through the Holy Spirit, would develop a hunger after God. And uh, if we hunger and thirst after God in our life, He's going to fill us. That's Matthew chapter 5. Circumstances in our life are there to make us hungry after God. And when we come to church, that we have an appetite. You know how work and labor creates an appetite? How many of you work hard and then are very hungry after you're working? Okay. Uh, I have felt that way, and we go and we really can enjoy our food and our rest. But with Ruth, God creates, makes her God-dependent. And she finds that she, Ruth was a person that learned how to find the wings of God and hide underneath them. Uh, under wings are shadows, correct? Shadows can be scary places for people. Uh, that can block lights. But shadows for Ruth were not scary because she understood that the shadow of the Almighty in Psalm chapter 91 was the place where she wanted to abide. Ruth was a person that went from uh, finding the shadow of God, the wings of God. She found it in her husband, who was a Jew, who knew God. He died. Then she found it under Naomi, which was her mother-in-law. Then when she follows Naomi to Judah, she finds it in Boaz's field. She was a person that always looked for God's covering. Because in the kingdom of God, there can be no nakedness or exposure. We need to be hidden in the wings, underneath the wings of God. And that's what church life and body life is all about. It's where we discover the wings of God and we hide in them, right? How many have done that? Like you've discovered... God's wings in your life and you're just going to tuck yourself right in underneath them. That is really where we want to be. Samuel said this to Saul. He said that, Saul, when you were small in your own eyes, you were hidden and you were, you were covered. And so this is what Ruth does. And she is a God-dependent woman and she finds a God, a man of grace, a grace-saturated man whose name was Boaz. See, when we look, when we think in the terms of dependency, where can I find myself? And I love what Diana said, you know, where can I plug myself in? We look for those places that are going to make us dependent on God. And that, when we do that, we're going to see this later in chapter 3, we incur the blessing of God. What is, what is more um, drawing and creates more compassion in the life of a person, when they see uh, a, a vulnerable person looking for shelter, does that, for us, that incurs compassion, doesn't it? Do you know what I'm saying? When you see someone that is 
been victimized or hurt and they are just limping along and they're coming at you, um, it, it causes compassion, doesn't it? In the eyes of God, and if it's getting too cold in here, we can turn down the air conditioner. Uh, in the eyes of God, um, when we move towards him in weakness and, we, and we're moving towards him with Naomi or in that afflicted state in our life, and we're going to incur the compassion of God. He's going to look at us with compassion. He's not going to look at us and say, you sorry, uh, you sorry mess. What do you, you know, get out of here? In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looked at the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd. And what happened? He was what? Matthew chapter 9, moved with compassion. And so when we move towards God like Ruth did, looking for grace then we're going to discover the compassion of God. You know, God may not change your circumstances. I think some churches will be preaching, if you believe enough, and if you really know God, then you're going to be financially blessed, and you're going to be totally healthy, and you're going to be super blessed. And there can actually be an addiction to blessings. We heard this during convention. But we're not living in an addiction to blessings and to comfort. We live with a sense that we are blessed people. And I can have a difficult circumstance in my life, but I can be filled, like Ruth, with hope for the grace of God. And that's the way, when we live, we're going to incur the grace of God. We're going to find, we're going to see the sovereign plan of God grace being gracious to us. I think that many times things could in our lives could go one of two ways. Have you ever been at a crossroads and you say this could be this could be this could go very bad <laughs> or this could actually be a good this could turn out very well someone who is not a hope a hoper in grace like Ruth was and who does not have their eyes set on a sense of promise and calling in their life is a person who is going to be met with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment and they're not going to see the grace of God because they're looking at their circumstances and they're looking at themselves. So chapter 3, we see here, Ruth is seeking refuge under the wings of God. And we begin to see God begin to uh, get, get the plan of redemption going in her life. And so Ruth here in chapter 3, I want to, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read to you the... Um, uh, just the whole chapter 3. I'm just listen to me as I read it uh, and in, in, envision in your mind the story as it unfolds. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, mother-in-law here, trying to match make. <laughs> Nothing, so some things don't change over the years. Now Boaz whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make, a, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, lie down, and he will tell you what to, what you should do. <laughs> kind of a provocative situation here, doesn't it? Sound that way? Okay. A woman showing up at night at Boaz's feet. 
Okay? The, what is Naomi trying to do here? And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. See, Naomi um, is a believer, and she has a sense of what God wants to do, and she is directing Ruth in the plan. And you know, like when you and I are hopers in the grace of God, and when we're looking for that love, like it says in Jude chapter 20, uh, verse 22 to 24, looking for that grace, looking for that love, looking for that mercy, God's going to send people into your life that are going to help direct you. And it could be actually even a person that seems to be not having a great life like Naomi. And so she went down in verse 6 to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. But she also does something more. She goes beyond what she, her mother-in-law says. Verse 7, after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lay down and at the, at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was laying at his feet. What an interesting situation. <laughs> midnight and there's someone laying at your feet. And he said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. And that's all that Naomi had told her to say. But then she goes on. She goes, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now this is, remember what we said about Jewish custom, that uh, this was all legal what she was doing, that she was presenting herself to a relative of her husband and asking uh, him to redeem her from her widowhood from her um, afflicted state, from her condition. And Boaz, here, this is midnight, okay? You can imagine the scene here. Midnight, and there's a man and then there's a woman at his feet. And verse 10, you can see the purity of both of them. And this is a good point, because there are times in our life where situations may present themselves to us and it's something that may, may, God may have allowed to happen, and that God has a huge blessing in the end of it. But we're presented with a decision. Do we want to make a decision with God in purity, or do we want to go down the wrong road and take advantage of a circumstance that presents itself to us? Boaz is a man saturated with the grace of God. He understands that God is going to bless him, that God is blessing his life. And so he's not thinking in the terms of his circumstances or himself or his needs. He's thinking about what does God want to do down the road. And so he says to her, Blessed art thou of the Lord, my daughter. And I like that statement. Because a man or a woman that's saturated with the grace of God is going to detect the grace of God in other people's lives. Remember when uh, Paul and Barnabas had returned and they had detected the grace of God. They had seen the grace of God in their lives. When the Pharisees looked at the disciples of Jesus, they said they could tell that they had been with Jesus. When you and I are saturated with the grace of God, we can see the blessing of the Lord in other people's lives. And doesn't that want us to be with them? Right? It wants us to be with them. And that's how my family came into this church, is we could see that there was something about the church, that there was a presence of God in the meetings, there was an anointing. Um, uh, you know, this, the guy, James, that was here last week, uh, he's going to come again, but, you know, not with his band. 
he said to me, he said, I can sense the Spirit of God here, that the, the presence of God is in your, in your church. And he said that, you know, he, had, he was just so blessed by that. And so, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than the beginning. In that, you did not go after the young man, a young men, whether poor or rich. Meaning that when she went to the fields to glean and to gather the leftovers, in her need, she didn't go after any of the first man that she found. And she was, she was a woman that was a hoper in the grace of God. And I, when we live in hope in the grace of God, we are not letting need dictate our decisions in our life. And this is so important for young women to understand this, and for young men, of course, also. We don't make decisions in our lives based on our needs. We take those needs and we bring them to God. And God knows the best way to meet those needs. It's very important. We see this happen over and over and over, a cycle in families that um, people just marry one person after another, after another, and after looking, and they never can find that, that perfect person because it's only God that can meet the need of an individual. A hoper in grace is a person that enters into every circumstance in their life and they're looking for one thing, the grace of God. How does God want to bless me through His grace in this circumstance? Because the Holy Spirit inside of you and I is like a compass. You ever have a compass? I don't know if you did Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. You go out into the woods and my scout leader was kind of a... Kind of a brutal person. He just left us out there and says, "Okay, find your way back home. We told you how to do it. Here's a compass. Here's a map." And we had to. We had like the compass was like we didn't take our eyes off the compass. I mean, because every tree, every path looked the same. And we got back. Our troop got back. We weren't so happy at the troop leader, but we got back. And he said, "That's a good lesson for you because you now now you know how to use the compass if your life depends on it. Our life depends on the compass of God's." Spirit and the Word of God that always points in the direction of God's grace. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. That is the direction of God's grace. And when you see God's blessed man or God's blessed woman or God's blessed people, connect with them. Stay connected and get connected and be connected. Don't, don't get disconnected. I, I, um, like, like Kyle said, that whenever we get disconnected from the life of God, we're lost. We're just wandering around in our details of life and our circumstances and even in our own thinking. I remember after graduating Bible school, uh, of course I was thinking uh, about what does God want to do in my life now. And I remember one man got up to speak at a rap, you know, we had a, in our church in Baltimore. And I remember he was speaking, and I, I had this detection. I could see the hand of the Lord was on this guy. He was young, he was not married, he was, you know, inexperienced. But I remember seeing the hand of God on him, and I just remember saying, I'm going with that guy in the mission field wherever he goes. And he went to Poland. And then I went my, when I met my wife for the first time, I saw the hand of God on her life, the good hand of the gracious hand of God on her life. And I said, that's the woman I want to marry, if God allows it. And so when we see the hand of God, when I came, to, when I came here to Hatborough, when I did a while ago, I could see the hand of God here. I could see God's gracious hand. And we can't be, we have to be very careful that it's easy for us to miss the good hand of the Lord because God's hand and God's grace and God's blessing are, are, are it is embedded in very simple 
and humble, it can be very simple and very humble um, uh, circumstances. It could be very easily passed over. You know, it could be very easily passed over. And so Boaz detects the grace of God on this woman. And that is attractive to him. He's attracted to that. And he sees that she's a virtuous woman. We know that, um, I think that any man can tell you that they respect a woman that is of virtue than a woman that's, um, you know, that's just easy, easy, whatever you want to call it, you know. A man will respect a woman that has virtue and integrity and convictions in her life. He will actually love that. He will respect that more than a woman that just will, will compromise on every, on every issue. And so he respects her, and he says, all the people of my town know that you're a virtuous woman. And he said, it is true, in verse 12, that I am a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. And so you see here that uh, before he can redeem her as his wife, okay, there's someone else that's in line that's closer to her as a relative. He doesn't take advantage of the situation. It's midnight in his house with a woman at his feet. He doesn't take advantage of the situation. He has integrity. He says, there's someone that's closer to you than I. And he says, stay the night. In the morning it shall be that if he performed the duty of a close relative to you, meaning if he wants to redeem you as his wife, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will do it. I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. And then, he, and then so... Long story short, um, what he do, does is when she leaves in the morning, uh, he gives her a shawl and fills it with six ephahs of barley. I don't know what an ephah is. I used to know what it is, but it sounds like a lot, doesn't it? And it needed, you needed a shawl to carry it, so it must have been probably a good sack, right? How many of you ladies have shawls? All right, okay, so shawls can be pretty big. Imagine that full of barley. So, and he put it on her, and she took it into the city. And in verse 10, when she came to the mother, her mother-in-law, Naomi, she said, is, it, is, it that, is that you, my daughter? Maybe because she couldn't recognize her under all of that barley. You know, she's head is covered with it. I don't know if she's carrying it on her head. And she said, these six ephahs of barley, in verse 17, he gave me, and he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And I love that. Um, I, want, I want to just look at this for a moment. Whenever we meet a person saturated with the grace of God, we're never going to leave empty-handed. Uh, isn't that true? Have you ever met a grace-saturated person? And you're never going to walk away empty-handed. You're going to be enriched by their life. You're going to be blessed by them. They're going to say something or give something to you that is going to be, that's going to enrich you and your family. And this is the way grace works. Grace is not how much I can get from God. The, the psychology of grace is, is that when I am graced out by God, then there is something in my life that delivers me from my depression, my selfishness, and from my self-centeredness, and it gives me a ministry. It gives me a mission. It gives me a capacity to minister. And I want to just finish this with this, Naomi. Naomi gets delivered from her depression. You know, depression is so prevalent today. I heard on the news the other day, 
And of course, I believe everything I hear at the news. Everything that TV says is absolutely true. Not. But they said that there are 235 million Americans that are on painkillers. I don't know. That's, that's amazing. Or 235 prescriptions, a uh, million prescriptions have been given to Americans. It's a lot of people that are in pain. And I think that there are a lot of people that are depressed, that are dis discouraged and disappointed with their life because of themselves and with their circumstances, and they become depressed. Uh, we met people yesterday when we were knocking on doors, and this one woman told us, she goes, my daughter, she's like, you know, she's in her early 20s, and she sleeps until 2 every day because she's depressed. She can't find work. And that, that, you know, when a person cannot work, that can impact us and it can, that can actually impact our self-image. And so what happens here is, is that the story of chapter 3 is hoping in the, in the grace of God. And Naomi actually goes from depression to hope. And that's why she sends Ruth to Boaz. I like this verse, Psalm 42, verse 5. And let's turn there uh, as we as we close today this message, Psalm 42, verse 5. And let's read this together. I'll make a couple comments, and then um, we'll close. Psalm 42, verse 5. David asks himself, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? David had a good habit in his life. He knew how to talk to himself, talk to his soul. And he said, why are you depressed? And then he said, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill of Mizar. These are three places, and because of time, we, don't, we can't get into it. But these are three locations where God's faithfulness in history, Jewish history, was made manifest. Three places. When we get depressed... When we get discouraged and when we get down about things in our life, when, we, when the outlook looks bleak and there's not the provision that we're looking for, pick three places in your life. Pick the Hermonite. Pick the land of Jordan and the hill of Mizar in your life and remember God's faithfulness as David did, I mean, as, as David did here. This is what Naomi did. She learned how to look at the faithfulness of God. One of the terrible effects of depression is the inability to move purposely and hopefully into the future. A depressed person has no purpose. They, they, don't, they don't live with purpose and they don't live with hope. When we hope in grace, we, we discover an overflow of help, of hope that comes up. When I look at God's grace and I begin to think about the grace of God, hope springs up, doesn't it? When we look at God's grace, we think, you know what? God wants to bless my life. When Naomi awakens in chapter 2, verse 20, to the kindness of God, hope springs up and comes alive and overflows to a strategy of hope. And I just want to finish with this. Naomi had a strategy. You see that strategy was? Naomi said, I'm limited in what I can do for you, Ruth, but I can help you and I can direct you in the direction of where God's going to bless you. When you and I begin to get delivered from our Naomi type of depression and discouragement, and we begin to hope, 
we can actually begin to direct people into a direction where they can find grace-saturated people. And we can say to them, look, there's a group of people that are saturated with God's grace, and they're going to bless you, and you're, you're going to walk away from your time with them, and you're going to be enriched in some little way or great way. And that's what ministry, and this is what church is all about. People come through those doors, they meet grace-enriched people, and they walk away, and there is something that they had that did not have before. I can say it, and I think all of us in this room can say it, because we keep coming here every Sunday. And I don't think if we were not being enriched by the grace of God, we'd keep coming. We come because we're, we are grace seekers. And I'm going to finish with that, that our hope is in God. And when we, get, when we get a revelation of the grace of God, there is an amazing strategy that we just unconsciously begin to, we begin to strategize, like, how can, I, how can I live my life finding the shadow of God, getting under there, and just being under the spout of God's gracious love in my life? And when we find that place, don't forsake it. Abide in it, live in it, because Ruth is about, in chapter 4, which is, the, is an awesome chapter, and I can't wait to talk about it next Sunday, Ruth is about ready to get blown away in God's plan. She's going to get married to this guy. She's going to have a baby, and this baby's name is going to be Obed, and that is the grandfather of David. That's David's, that's David's grandfather. This is an amazing story. And so I just want to finish with this, that whatever the circumstance may be in a person's life, get on your knees, count three major blessings in your life of God's faithfulness, and seek for that grace of God that, that sustains us, renews us in our purpose, and gives us something that we can give to other people so that when they walk away from us, they can say, you know what, I was enriched by that person, and I want to come back. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's close in prayer.